0: Well, it's good to have you with us this morning, students. It's great to have you back. We have missed you. This town is entirely too quiet when you're gone. Now, I I can't get to Target and I can't go down Texas Avenue anymore now that you're back, but that's a small price to pay to have you back. We love having you. Now that you're back, we do get to kick off our fall sermon series. Actually, we'll study it this whole school year, the book of Romans. So turn to the book of Romans. That's where we'll be this morning, Romans chapter 1. Uh, To be honest with you guys, I've really been looking forward to covering Romans with you for a number of years now. Uh, There is no book of the Bible, I think, that can compare in the depth of theology it covers to Romans, or in the breadth of life application it covers than to Romans, or in the passion it shares for the gospel. There's nothing like Romans. Romans has had an unprecedented history in, in the church. Throughout the last 2,000 years of church history, Romans has affected people probably more than any other book. Augustine, the greatest theologian of the early church, he came to faith by reading Romans. Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, he came to faith by reading Romans. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, Methodist church, he came to faith by reading Romans, actually Luther's thoughts on Romans. If the book of Romans had a storefront sign out front, it would read Romans leading people to Christ since 57 AD because that's what the book does. It leads people to Christ. That's why when I'm talking to someone who is struggling with the gospel, they just can't wrap their minds around it. They just can't believe it. I tell them, read Romans. It'll fix you. It will lead you to Christ because that's what Romans does because Romans puts out front and center the gospel. The good news that Jesus, the Son of God, our Messiah, died for our sins and rose from the dead. The gospel is the core of Romans. It's the the heartbeat of Romans. Romans is all about the gospel. Paul actually tells us that right in in the summary of the book, our passage this morning, we're going to look at the big idea of the book of Romans. Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we'll actually start in verse 15, but verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, you can star those or highlight them or underline them. This is the summary of the whole book. If you want to understand Romans, this is it. If you want to understand Romans, memorize verses 16 and 17, because this is the big idea of the whole book. So look with me. Let's start in verse 15. Paul says, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul starts in verse 15 by saying I am eager to preach the gospel in Rome. I am eager. Paul is not saying I am willing to preach the gospel. He's not saying I'm willing to preach the gospel if I have time or if I meet the right person or if it just comes out in conversation, then I'll talk about the gospel. No, he's saying I am eager to talk about the gospel. I can't wait to share the gospel. Paul's greatest desire as he thinks about the future is to share the gospel. Now, why is Paul so eager to share the gospel? Well, he tells us, beginning of verse 16, for here's the reason why I'm eager to share the gospel for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, when Paul uses that phrase, not ashamed, he means something different by it than we would mean by it. Imagine with me for a moment if uh, my boss, Brian Fisher, our senior pastor here at Grace Bible Church, imagine if he came up to me one day in the office and he pointed at me and he said, Blake Jennings, I am not ashamed of you. How would I feel about that? I'd probably think, well, gee, Brian, Thanks. I think, uh, did I do something that I'm not aware of? Are people talking behind my back? That's not really a great compliment. Actually, I feel like it's really weird. I feel uncomfortable now. It's not a great compliment in the English language, but it was in Paul's day. In Greek, Paul is actually saying as strongly as he can, I have absolutely no shame in the gospel. He's really saying the opposite. I am proud of the gospel. I am passionate about the gospel to use our our modern lingo, what Paul is saying is, I am a gospel fanatic. Why do I want to preach the gospel in Rome and everywhere else? Because I am fanatical about it. Paul is is a lot like um, us about Aggie football this time of year. There's, yeah, there's a lot of football fanatics in this town. How do you know a football fanatic? Well, their whole wardrobe from August to November is maroon. In fact, they really hope their whole wardrobe through January will be maroon. That's, that's the only thing they wear. And, and they've had season tickets for longer than we've been in the Big 12, and they know every possible pro and con for jumping to the SEC. These are the guys who bought a smartphone just so they could keep up with tech sags when they're away from their desk. They just cannot get enough Aggie football. That's how Paul feels about the gospel. He can't get enough of it. He cannot share it often enough. It is at the center of his affections. He is a fanatic about the gospel. Now, I'll be honest with you. That's really convicting to me. I read what Paul says about his eagerness and his passion for the gospel. And that is really convicting to me because there's not a lot of days when I wake up and the first thought that comes to my head is, man, who do I get to share the gospel with today? What is it that you are eager for in life? When you think about the future, what is it that captivates your mind, that gets you excited? Is it some hoped for vacation? Maybe going and backpacking through Europe one day. Or is it something closer to home, like attending the home opener next weekend in Kyle Field? Is it something really important that gets you excited, that you're eager about, like graduating from college or getting a new job, buying a house, getting married, having kids? Or is it something a little less important that you get eager for, like playing golf or going shopping or picking up Halo 4 when it comes out? What is it that you're eager for? Now, when I think of that question, it it really convicts me. It's hard for me to, to put this sermon together because I know that the gospel should be at the center of my affections. None of those things I mentioned are bad. In fact, some of them are really good students. You should graduate. It's good to get married. It's good to have kids. There's a lot of good things there. The problem is when the things of this world, when the things of this life become the center of our affections, they crowd out the gospel. If you're a fanatic about the things of this world, then there's no room in your heart to be a fanatic about the gospel. Now, if if I'm stepping on your toes, know that it's because Paul stepped on mine first. My toes are are black and blue this morning because as I read this passage, it just cuts me because I grieve over the fact I know the gospel should be first and foremost in my life, but so many days of my life, it's not. I get so easily distracted by the things of this world. Fortunately, Paul knew we would. Paul knew that this would be hard for us. Paul knew that it would not be easy to be a fanatic about the gospel in this world. And that's why Paul did not stop at verse 16a. He kept writing. The rest of verses 16 and 17 are designed to help us. They're designed to motivate us and move us to become proud of the gospel, passionate about the gospel. Paul wants us to be fanatical about the gospel, and so he helps us with it. He shows us why it is reasonable to be a fanatic about the gospel. That's what the rest of the passage is about. Paul is going to give us three reasons why we should be unashamed of the gospel, why we should be gospel fanatics. So look with me, starting in the passage Starting midway through verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That's reason number one. Why should we be fanatics about the gospel? Because the gospel is the saving power of God. And when you hear that phrase, power of God, what comes to your mind? But for Paul and his audience, what came to their minds when they heard power of God is the Old Testament. That's a very Old Testament phrase. This idea of the power of God. In the Old Testament, it refers to God's unlimited strength to crush his enemies and deliver his people. Now, think for a moment what does it look like in the Old Testament when God's power shows up on earth? What does it look like? Well, it's pretty big. It's pretty awesome. It's things like creation and and the flood and the plagues on Egypt and parting of the Red Sea and crushing Jericho and wiping out the Midianites. It's big stuff. When God's power shows up in the Old Testament, it moves things. It's awe-inspiring. It's shocking. Reminds me a little bit. I don't know if you remember when they used to put the THX logo on the front of movies. Well, THX trailer. First time I saw this was 1983. My parents took me to go see Return of the Jedi. Greatest movie ever made. I was so giddy to see this movie. It was actually one of, if not the first movie produced in THX. So so I sit down with my dad, and I think I'm like eight years old at this point. I'm really young. I'm already giddy about the movie. But then just imagine the lights go dark. And for the first time ever, this logo comes on the screen, and this crescendo of music starts to build, and it gets louder and louder and deeper and deeper. And I'm an eight-year-old kid, so by the end of it, my whole body's shaking, and the hair on the back of my neck is standing up, and I can hear and see nothing else in the theater. It absolutely consumes me. It overwhelms me. Well, that's God's power in the Old Testament. It's like THX. It just absolutely overwhelms you. Well, Paul's point in our passage this morning is that that power is in this message. That awe-inspiring, world-altering, shake-you-to-the-bones power of God is in the gospel message. The words of the gospel contain God's supernatural power. And I want you to notice something. Paul doesn't say that, that the gospel is accompanied by the power of God or it reveals the power of God. He said the gospel is the power of God. The words of the gospel, the words of this good news that Jesus the Messiah died for our sins and rose from the dead, those words carry power, supernatural power. As I've meditated it on this week, it's actually reminded me of another movie. You're going to think I watch a lot of movies. It keeps bringing to my mind the popularity of the Harry Potter series. Why is the Harry Potter series so popular? I think a big part of the reason is we love the thought of living in a world where our words change things. You speak the right words in Latin and supernatural things happen around you. Well, actually, that is reality as long as the words are the gospel. You don't even have to speak it in Latin. You can speak it in any language you want. If you speak the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, the world is changed around you because those words contain power. God's supernatural, all-inspiring power. Now, power to do what? What do these words of the gospel accomplish? Paul says they accomplish salvation. That's a very significant word in scripture, salvation. Now, for most of us, when we hear that word salvation, what comes to our minds is forgiveness of my sins and going to heaven. That's what we think of when we hear the word salvation. But actually, salvation in Greek, the word soteria, all it means is to rescue someone, to, to deliver So you ask, well, deliver you from what? Well, it depends on the context. Some passages in the New Testament, it's deliverance from from enemies. Some passages, deliverance from sickness or or death. It can be deliverance from, from the penalty of sins or the wrath of God or punishment in the future or a worthless life, all kinds of different things in different contexts. So how about Romans chapter one? Well, Paul is summarizing all of the book of Romans. So he means the word salvation in a summary sense. When he says salvation here, he means so much more than just getting to heaven. When Paul says salvation in verse 16, what he means is God's deliverance from all that is wrong into all that is right. That's what salvation means in this summary passage. God's power unleashed in the world to deliver from all that is wrong into all that is right. That's the broadest sense of salvation. And when Paul uses it in this broad sense, he means a bunch of things. He means deliverance from the penalty of our sins. That's justification being declared right with God. He means deliverance from the power of sin in our lives, that's sanctification, growing in holiness. He means deliverance from the presence of sin in the future, that's glorification when we're transformed in the presence of God. He means salvation present and salvation future. And he means salvation individually and salvation as a community. When God talks about salvation, he's not just talking about us as individuals. He's talking about a family of God made right with God and transformed into the likeness of God. And when Paul talks about salvation, he's not just talking about saving people. He means something more than just humanity. Romans chapter 8, Paul's going to talk about how salvation of God reaches out and engrafts all of creation. God wants to transform all of creation and make it right. He wants to remove all of the negative effects of sin. That's what he means by salvation, making everything right. Delivering us and the entirety of creation from all that is wrong into all that is right. That's what the gospel will do. Complete and final utter salvation. Now, part of the reason to do this word, say, to look at this word in more depth is if you're going to understand the book of Romans, you have to understand that our God is not content to just get us to heaven. So often that's, that's what we think it's all about salvation, all that God's doing, the gospel. It's all about getting me as an individual to heaven. God's not content to do that. He wants to do that. That's part of it. But God wants so much more for you. God wants to make everything right in your life. That's what salvation is about. It's about making everything right in all of the universe. Paul wants us to understand how big, how grand, how awesome salvation is. Now, that's a big part of the reason that we chose the title for this series, Righteous, with the focus on the word right, because that's what God wants. He wants to make you right. He wants to make us right. He wants to make everything right. That's what he's doing. That's what Romans is about, that God is making all things right. And he's doing it through the gospel. The gospel, this good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, that is God's way of making the world right. That is the only way to make the world right. The gospel is the one and only solution to the problems of this world. It is the one great solution to all of the sin and pain and suffering of this world. This really has come to my mind as I've thought about you students coming back. I love when I look at, at this generation of students, the passion that you have for social justice issues. Things like eradicating poverty, wiping out malaria, Bringing healing to, to much of the world that is impoverished. That is really good stuff. I encourage you to do that, but I encourage you to remember one thing. The only lasting solution to the problems of the world is the gospel. If you give a person food but not the gospel, then think about it. All you have done is extend the earthly life of someone who does not know the love of God and will die separated from God. That, that's not a solution. So share food, give material aid so that you get a chance to share the good news of the gospel. Share the love of Christ in your actions so that you get an opportunity to share the love of Christ in your words, because that's the only thing that will fix what ails this world. What people need is to hear from you the good news of the gospel. It is that message that God is using to fix what ails this world. The gospel is the unleashing of God's saving power upon earth to make all things right. That's why Paul's a fanatic about the gospel, because this is it. This is the one and only solution to all that ails the world. That's reason number one to be a fanatic about the gospel. Reason number two, the rest of verse 16 It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To everyone. Paul wants us to understand that the gospel is universal in scope. God offers this this supernatural world-altering salvation to everyone, to every person on earth. The gospel is available to everyone without exception. There is no racial exception with the gospel. There is no exception of ethnicity. You have to be part of this people group and not that one. The gospel is is no respecter of nationality. It's no respecter of economic status or educational background or, or your own background of sin. The gospel is for everyone without exception, for everyone on the planet. And the gospel is offered not just without exception, but without distinction, In our world, in in, in humanity, when we want to market something, have you ever noticed everything comes in multiple versions? Anything you want to buy, there's multiple versions of it. There's the version for the rich and famous. It's gold-plated and diamond-encrusted just for the select few. And then for all of us average folks, there's the standard version, whatever that is. And then for those who are economically disadvantaged who are disenfranchised, there's the cheap knockoff version that lasts for a week and has half the features. That's how we operate all these different features based on what you can afford. That's not how God works. There is only one version of the gospel. It's the best one. It's the best one possible. He offers it to everyone without distinction. I think Paul loves the gospel because he realizes the gospel is finally the solution to the things that divide human beings. The racism, the the discrimination, the, the ethnocentrism, all of these things that divide human beings. The gospel is a solution to that because the gospel is for everyone without distinction. The gospel is God's infinite saving power available to everyone on earth, everyone who believes. That's the key. It has no, there's no issue of race, of class, of education. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is belief. You have to believe what? You have to believe the news of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. If you believe that, then all of God's infinite power is made available to you. Jesus makes the same point in John 1. Actually, this is uh, the words of John, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. As many as received him, to anyone on earth who will simply believe the good news about Jesus, they enter into a relationship with God. They become children of God. That's actually going to end up being a major theme of the book of Romans. We're going to see over and over again, Paul wants us to understand the only thing that matters is belief. You don't have to work for the gospel. You don't have to attain things for the gospel. You don't have to improve yourself for the gospel. All you have to do is believe. We're going to come back to that over and over again. You get access to the infinite supernatural power of God if you simply believe. That's why Paul loves this good news. He loves to share the gospel. What great news. It's a free gift. Just believe. And it's available for everyone. That's the second reason Paul was a gospel fanatic. Third reason that Paul is passionate about the gospel is because it reveals God's righteousness. Look at verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. That word reveal, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. That means to, to uncover, to manifest it, to make it fully known. But uh, let's focus on, on the key phrase there, the righteousness of God. What is that about? That is actually, if you want to know, that's, that's probably the most important two words in the whole book of Romans. You can underline those. That's the big thing of Romans, the righteousness of God. We're going to come back to that every single week. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. But what is that? What does it mean that God is righteous? What is God's righteousness? Well, Paul by that term means two things. It means two things when he says that God is righteous. First of all, he's talking about who God is. God is righteous in his person. Psalm eleven seven. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. It's an attribute of God. God's character, who he is in and of himself, is righteous. What this means is that there is nothing wrong about God. There is nothing wrong inside God. He is absolutely perfect. In this sense, you could say righteousness is kind of a summary way of talking about God. It means he is perfect in every way. He is right in every way. That's the first thing Paul means. The gospel reveals who God is, that he is righteous. The second thing that the righteousness of God means is it means what God does. God does righteousness. Deuteronomy 32, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. This passage is saying is that everything God does is righteous. Everything he does is just. Everything he does is perfect. Whether God is being creator or destroyer, whether he's being savior or judge, whether he's blessing or cursing, everything God does is right. He always acts rightly, appropriately. It is always perfect what he does as he interacts with his creation. That's the point. Everything God does is right. When we stand in eternity and look back at history, we will see that every single thing God did was perfectly right. Now, Deuteronomy 32 is actually really helpful because it links two ideas, the rightness or righteousness of God with God's faithfulness. That's a common linkage in scripture. If you search for those two words, you'll see them appear together in verse after verse. God is righteous. God is faithful. Those fit together because faithfulness is the primary expression of God's righteousness in history. When we talk about our God being righteous, what does that look like? It looks like God being faithful to his promises. That's how God expresses his righteousness. He does what he says he's gonna do. He is faithful. He is always faithful. He is faithful to the promises he has made to us. Now that actually is the idea behind the really odd phrase that appears next in the verse. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. There are whole books written about those four words, from faith to faith. Very, very dense, really hard to unpack what Paul means there. There's a number of different options because unfortunately in both Hebrew and Greek, the word you're reading faith there, it can mean either faith or faithfulness, which is entirely different in English. And it can refer either to God's faithfulness or to human faith or faithfulness. So there's a lot of options here. Let me show you how I understand this phrase. What is Paul saying here? Well, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith. That first from faith is talking about God's faithfulness. It's not about our faith. It's God's faithfulness to his promises. Paul's saying that the the source or origin of the gospel, where does the gospel come from? This great news that is making the world right, where does it flow out of? It flows out of the faithfulness of God to his promises. That's what salvation is about. That's what it comes from. God promised all the way back at the beginning that he would fix the problem of sin. He's doing that through the gospel. The gospel is God's preeminent act of faithfulness. He is faithful to us. He's faithful to keep his promises. That's what the gospel flows out of. That's where God's salvation comes from, is his faithfulness expressed preeminently through Jesus Christ. So that's the first sense of from faithfulness. What about the second? From faith to faith. The second one, to faith, that's talking about us. It's talking about our response to God's faithfulness. Because God has been faithful to us, that inspires us to trust God. That's what the gospel is designed to do. It shows us how faithful God has been to us through Jesus to inspire within us faith, to inspire within us a trust in God, to depend upon God. In this sense of faith by which we respond to God, it's not just a moment in time belief in the gospel, it's all of life. Paul is saying that your entire life should be characterized by faith because God has been faithful to you. It should inspire within you trust faith in God. And Paul validates that point at the end of the verse by quoting a very, very famous passage, actually one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4, but the righteous by faith shall live. Now, that's another difficult phrase, really dense, hard for us to unpack. You can't understand it if you don't know the book of Habakkuk. So uh, when was the last time you read the book of Habakkuk? For most of us, it's not very often. We're not really familiar with Habakkuk. Paul's audience was. So he knows that they understand completely what this phrase means. We need a little help. So let me share with you the background of Habakkuk so you understand where Paul is going. Uh, Habakkuk was a prophet. And he's living um, during a really dark period of Israel's history. And the world around him is really messed up. It's really bad. Unrighteousness is thriving. The wicked are growing rich on the backs of the righteous. Everyone who wants to follow God is being oppressed. They're being abused so that the wicked can, can excel and succeed. And Habakkuk sees how messed up the world is and he cries out to God. God, do something. Fix this. This is horrible. And in the midst of his grief, God steps in and speaks. And he says, the righteous by faith shall live. And the key words there are are by faith. That's the center of it. That's the key, by faith. What God is saying to Habakkuk is, Habakkuk, I know things are messed up right now. I know things look really bad, but Habakkuk, you know who I am. You know, I'm God. I am righteous. I will fix this. I will make things right. In the meantime, trust me. That's the idea of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, even when the world looks messed up, please trust me. Believe that I am God, that I am righteous, that I am fixing this, that I will make all things right. That's what Paul wants us to do. That's the connection Paul is making. Because God is righteous, because God has always been faithful, we can trust him. God's faithfulness inspires within us trust. So now let's let's get back to the big idea here. Paul is a gospel fanatic. Reason number three, because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel proves that God is right in who he is and in what he does. That's what the gospel does. Every time you reveal the gospel, notice it's a present tense verb. It's constantly revealing. Every time you tell somebody the good news about Jesus, you are revealing to them that there is a God who is righteous, who is faithful. You are revealing to them the beautiful, wonderful righteousness of God that will inspire within them a response of trust. I I can trust that God. Because he has been so faithful to me. Okay, we have covered a ton of ground this morning. Let's wrap this up. Let's pull this back together. Here's here's the big thing. Why is Paul passionate about the gospel? And how do we become passionate about the gospel? We have to understand three things about the gospel. Why is it so awesome? Because number one, it is the saving power of God on earth. It is the Old Testament supernatural, sea-dividing, creating power of God unleashed on the planet earth when you speak the words of the gospel. They aren't just words. They are God's power. And that power is available to every person on earth. The gospel is the ultimate tool of racial reconciliation. If you want to fix all that is messed up in this world between human beings, it's the gospel that will do it. It's available to all without distinction, without exception, if they will simply believe. Everyone who will believe the good news about Jesus receives all of the saving power of the gospel. And finally, third reason to be passionate about the gospel is because every time you share it, you are revealing to the world the righteousness of our God. You are declaring to the world how right, how good, how faithful our God has been and will always be through Jesus Christ. The gospel is the revelation of God's righteousness. So, Paul wants us to be fanatics about the gospel. Let me close by asking you a couple questions. First of all, have you believed? Have you believed this message? It all comes down to faith. Have you trusted that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, really did come to earth, take your sins upon himself, and die in your place, and then rise from the dead? Do you believe that or has there been something that has tripped you up, something that has kept you from believing the gospel? If, if that's the case, I would encourage you come talk to me or someone else this morning. If you're not willing to come talk to us, then can I give you the same advice that they gave to Luther and Augustine and John Wesley? Go read the book of Romans. If you're struggling with the gospel, if it's just too hard to believe, read the book of Romans. Keep coming back. We will continue to talk about this gospel. We'll continue to talk about how wonderful and beautiful and true it is. Keep coming back. Read the book of Romans with us. So that's the first question. Have you believed? If you have believed, then my second question for you is, are you proud of the gospel? Are you proud of this message? Are you passionate about it or are you ashamed of it? Is the gospel something that you hide away, that you keep quiet about, that you keep private about? Or is the gospel just something you don't have time for? You're so busy with the rest of life that it gets little attention from you. If that's you, then then again, welcome to my club. I struggle with this too. If that's you, then I would encourage you Read the book of Romans. Really, the answer for everyone in this room is read the book of Romans. If you have a hard time getting passionate about the gospel, read the book of Romans because that's what it's designed to do, is to inspire passion in your soul for the gospel. It's designed to turn you into a person who can't help but share the gospel. Read the book of Romans. Come back and study it with us this semester. I am confident that God wants to grow in each and every one of our hearts a passion for the gospel. He really does want us to be more fanatical about the gospel than about Aggie football. That's the goal. He'll do it through the book of Romans. So spend some time in Romans with us this year. Now, I want to end by transitioning to something quite different. In your bulletins, there is a form that says, get connected. page that says, get connected or join a small group. That's actually what it says this year. Join a small group at the top of the form. I just want to spend a minute on this. Uh, this is our Get Connected Sunday at Grace Bible Church. We're rolling out all of our small group options for the fall. I want to spend some time on this because as much as I appreciate you guys coming and listening to me preach the word, you're not going to learn the word of God as well in a passive sense as you will when you join a small group. The best way to learn the word of God is to gather with other believers and study it for yourself. That's what God wants you to do, is join a small group. So let me encourage you to join a small group. There's a lot of options here. There's a number of options on Sunday morning. If you want to study the Word of God with others here on Sunday mornings, there's a few different classes, Life Builders, Newlywed, Grad Group, a number of different things they're covering. Those are great options, and there will actually be a representative from each of those adult Bible fellowships at the tables in the foyer when we dismiss. So if you want to find out more, you can go there. If you prefer an option um, during the week, there's a number of weekday opportunities. Opportunities. Uh, top of the list is our Bible studies, women's Bible study, or men's Bible study, 2030 Bible studies, a number of different Bible studies this year. But there's a whole lot of different options. There's some neat things uh, for different people. There's also some special ones at the bottom. Grief share if you've lost a loved one recently. Celebrate recovery if you're having a, a really tough time pulling out of a, a spiral of sin. Um, So a number of really great options there. Home church, if you'd rather gather in in a home with other believers, uh, co-ed, and uh, these typically gather. Well, some of them are every week, some are every other week. They're ongoing. Home churches need opportunity. Um, You can sign up for that online. If you're a college student, we have college Bible studies for you. We'd love for you to join us. If you're a youth kid, we would love to have you join our Wednesday night Bible studies. Uh, I'm actually really excited this year about Bible studies. Men's, women's, uh, college, and youth. Most of you guys are going to be studying the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth. I'm really excited because um, as I've studied Ruth, I've really come to believe Ruth is the book of Romans in action. Romans is all like theology and it's all really great stuff to teach, but Ruth, you get to see it lived out. Ruth, um, let me be very clear about this. Men, Ruth is not just for women. That's like saying the book of Matthew is just for men. That's ridiculous. Ruth is for all of us. Ruth is one of the greatest stories in the Bible because you see God's righteousness, his faithfulness worked out in the lives of two desperate, needy widows. A beautiful story, incredible, powerful story. I'm really excited about it because it's like the perfect companion to Romans. So come here on Sunday mornings, get the theology. Then on Wednesdays or Tuesdays or whenever, study Ruth and see how that theology hits the road in application. So whether it's Ruth or one of the other options, join us this year in a small group opportunity. We really, really believe that's where the primary place that you are gonna grow in your walk with God is joining with other believers around the word of God. Again, all of those options are available online. So just go to our website. You can sign up for any of them. If you have questions, if you wanna know more about the small groups here at Grace, go to the tables at the center of the foyer. There's people there who would love to talk to you about how you can get connected at Grace. Okay, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the beginning of a new semester. Thank you for a fresh start to come together, join one another, and link hands around this book of Romans. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift that this book is. We believe that it was not just Paul speaking, this is you speaking to us, Lord. We, we praise you for that and thank you for that. This is a gift. And Father, we pray that as we go from here, Lord, um, I'm confident that most of us are, are feeling a little convicted, Lord, a little convicted that we are typically not fanatical about the gospel. We're fanatics about so many other things, the things of this world, even really good things that capture our attention and and, and distract us from the power and beauty and importance of the gospel. So Father, we pray that as we go from here, help us, Lord, clear away the the clouds from our eyes. Help us to see the gospel in all of its beauty and all of its power. Help us to be uh, really captivated by what Jesus has done for us dying for our sins and rising from the dead, please, Lord, let that be the center of our, of our lives. Let that be the heartbeat of our lives, Lord, the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to share it with passion and eagerness to all around. And Father, for anyone in this room who has not yet believed that message, please, Father, let this be the day of their salvation. Open their eyes. Let these, these words of the gospel, this good news that Jesus died for them and rose from the dead, we pray that that would have supernatural power right now in their lives to open their eyes, to open their hearts to the beauty of what you have done for them. Please help them to believe, Lord. Thank you again for this day. You are so good to us. In the name of your perfect son who has made salvation possible, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.